Welcome back, everybody. Clearwater Jazz Holidays Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. This is Steve Weinberger. I'm the CEO of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation. And I'm really happy to invite folks in today to join our good friend Pat Close for part of our Conversation With series today. The great Jimmy Haslip is with us. Jimmy, how's it going? It's going pretty well. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us, Jimmy. Um, you, we were just talking before we got started um, about how special these Young Lions Jazz Master virtual sessions have been. The Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation, in addition to producing the 42-year music festival, uh, also supports a variety of different education and outreach programs in the community, including the Young Lions program and now these virtual sessions. I want to thank uh, some special partners, including Blue Water Wealth Management at Steward Partners and Duke Energy for taking a very special interest in this growing resource. After these live sessions, the recordings are put into the studio on line at clearwaterjazz.com and you can also watch or or listen i should say to these sessions at the young lions jazz master virtual sessions podcast wherever you stream your podcasts it's available on all the major platforms and i think we just got close to 5000 total plays in just a short time that we've been doing this and that's presented by our good friends at marine max clearwater so Thank you for everybody who's been following along, to all the musicians that have been participating to help, and to all of the students and band directors out there that are benefiting from these. I hope you're finding really good value. We certainly appreciate you support supporting these and following along. And with that, I'm going to turn this over to Pat Close to uh, lead us in this great conversation with Jimmy Haslip. I hope it's here, we, here we go. <laughs> hey, thank you, Steve. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Um, whoever you, many of you out there are, I know there's a few of you that I know personally, uh, but thank you so much and welcome, everyone, to a conversation with, I'm so excited about this one, bass guitarist Jimmy Haslip, who's, man, been an influence to me over the years, um, has played on some of my recordings um actually as well jimmy is uh before i introduce him uh, i'd like to just open up by saying uh jimmy's a, a world-renowned grammy award winner bassist composer producer and co-producer he plays uh left-handed upside down uh five and six string electric bass and fretless basses um, the first time I heard Jimmy was when he played with the Yellow Jackets, um, and that was from 81 through 2011. Um, if those of you aren't familiar with that band, some of you younger um, players here, they were a L.A.-based um, fusion, um, funky fusion band, and great players in that band, and uh, you have to check them out. But some of the other uh, great artists that, that Jimmy has, uh, to his credit, uh, is Jeff Lorber Fusion, uh, Alan Holdsworth, Bobby McFerrin, Bruce Hornsby, 
Michael Franks, Brenda Russell, Gino Vanelli, the Brother to Brother album. Wow. I did just found that out that that was Jimmy playing bass on that. <laughs> uh, we got to talk about that and the Black Cars uh, album, Gino Vanelli, but Brother to Brother. Okay, so sorry, I got crazy about that one. Uh, <laughs> Chris, Chris Bodie, uh, Will Downing, Anita Baker, Diana Ross, Dave Koss, Harvey Mason, Gary Meek, Robin Ford and Ricky Lawson on their solo projects who were with the Yellow Jackets. An album, Casino Lights, live in Switzerland, Montreux, uh, a tune, Monmouth College Fight Song. Love that song, Shuffle, beautiful, great song. Um, Jimmy just has a way of just sucking you into, you have to, he makes you listen to him when you listen to music he's, that he's playing on. Uh, as well as many movie soundtracks uh, to his credits, Star Trek. The Jungle Book, Weird Science, uh, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, and more. Um, some of his solo projects that he produced and played on as well, The Ark Project, Red Heat, um, which I love that album. Um, maybe Jimmy could tell us more about other solo projects a bit later, some of his current ones. But um, whether you're a bass player, drummer, guitarist, keyboardist, whatever, you really owe it to yourself to go on YouTube, Google Jimmy Haslip, uh, if you don't already know who he is. So, you know, right now I'd like to, without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to uh, Mr. Jimmy Haslip. Jimmy, how are you? Welcome to the session. I'm good, and that's very, all very kind of you to mention all that. Um, Sir. Uh, and I appreciate being here. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I know there's, this is um, not mainly, but mostly for, you know, uh, these young lions, these young musicians coming up today um, who are all part of this education and outreach um, program. And since most of them are, you know, can you share your, some little bit of your educational beginning? I know you started, I guess you told me on trumpet, and uh, before you even played, but like you're very uh, young in grade school, I'm imagining. And um, how that got you to bass? Well, you know, uh, music was always a big part of my household growing up as a little kid. Um, you know, uh, my my family, uh, my my mom and dad were both from Puerto Rico, so uh, they met in New York and. And of course, you know, when they had kids, my brother and I, um, uh, they exposed us uh, to, to the culture and a big part of, of a lot of cultures and, and especially with uh, Puerto Ricans or Cubans, uh, you know, music and dance, uh, the food, you know, it's a, there's a lot of um, culture there and uh, my mom and dad took the time to expose us to that. In fact, my first language was Spanish. I, I, I learned to speak Spanish before English um, uh. as a little tiny kid. Um, but music was a huge part of the house. Uh, I grew up listening to a lot of salsa music, 
you know, uh, Ray Barreto, Tito Puente, uh, Tito yeah. Rodriguez, Celia Cruz, uh, Longo Santa Maria, um, and the list goes on. Uh, plus, my brother, who's uh, 11 years older than me, was really into uh, jazz and classical music. So right. I was exposed through my brother to everything from Coltrane to Thelonious Monk, um, you know, Eric Dolphy, Miles Davis, uh, Cannonball Adderley, um, uh, and then Prokofiev, Stravinsky, uh, Mozart, uh, Brahms, uh, Messiaen. So I, I, I grew up with, with this very rounded kind of uh, musical family, listening to everything from, you know, pop music. Uh, you know, my, my mom and dad uh, uh, liked listening to uh, things like Andy Williams and, uh, you know, obviously Frank Sinatra, uh, but then also big band music like uh, Count Basie, uh, Duke Ellington. Uh, you know, I, got, I was exposed to Ella Fitzgerald. Uh, Right. Uh, you know, Louis Armstrong. So there's a lot of different kinds of music to, as a kid to uh, grow up with. And of course, when you're a little kid, you're a sponge. So all that music just kind exactly. of went in me, uh, created a lot of interest. And uh, fortunately, uh, in 1964, Five, I guess I was in fourth grade. Um, actually, no, I, I take that back. 1957, I was in fourth grade. And um, uh, uh, a music teacher came into our class and said, who wants to play an instrument? So uh, that was back in the day when music programs. I remember those days. I yeah. remember that. Uh, in grade school. Yeah, you could play. Gift. Yeah. It was a gift. So I, I picked trumpet and I started studying trumpet when I was seven years old. And later when I was 13, I was exposed to, you know, seeing uh, rock bands and uh, top 40 bands or what have you. And, and I, I really liked the uh, electric bass. So I ended up getting uh an electric bass when I was 13 and self-taught and I'm naturally wow. left-handed which is the reason why I play the way I do and so you uh, just you just took the bass a right-handed bass and just flipped it over you didn't restring it no so the so I, I know you get I asked much to my time. much to my dismay <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was uh it was uh, the fact that I was naive about the instrument, you know, didn't know a lot about it, but at the same time, didn't figure that uh, electric bass was going to be my career at 13 wow. years old. So it was just a fun thing to do. And, uh, you know, I, I just taught myself a lot of tunes. Um, I did eventually get some instruction from a, a guy that that I went to school with, uh, his sister 
And uh, he had been playing tuba and string bass with Elvin Jones. So he lived in, in the neighborhood where I grew up and I took some lessons from him and he, he started, um, he started teaching me a lot about diatonic system and, you know, a lot of the basic stuff. Are you hearing me? Yes, I just lost you, and that's why oh, I freaked okay. out. Sorry. <laughs> I lost you, and then I was like, uh-oh. That's okay. okay. You're, back. You're back. We're good. <laughs> anyway, uh, electric bass, I, I picked it up when I was 13, and, and I had all this um, incentive and uh, exposure to a lot of music growing up, and and, you know, that's the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today at 69 years old. So, And that's some great, uh, I, we have the similar, same exact background, actually. My dad played me, you know, all the same types of music as a trumpet player. My dad played, and basically I considered that my, my that was my ear training. You know, I could listen to that stuff. And, and he would, especially when your dad's a musician, he'd go, listen to this part right here. Right. When your dad when your dad tells you to listen <laughs> on top of it, you know, you're like and then you hear it. First you listen and then you hear it. And that, that's so that's very similar. Uh it's an amazing background like that. And that's great ear training, that stuff. And yeah. then not to mention, I know you told me you loved when I asked you to play on my single, Mr. Maceo, which was an old school funk tune. And you said, oh, I'd love, I'd love to play on that. I mean, I just, you know, I love funk and, uh, and, and Motown, you know? And so I'm right. sure from, from in New York, from New York, right? Um, you had the Motown, the up north, that influence on us was tremendous. Um, so, you know, it was just amazing that you can cross over. I mean, you, you got the chops to play the fusion stuff with Virgil Donati, then you then you have this amazing ability just like boom 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 <laughs> boom, 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 boom you know just lay down a, a, a an old school groove. So how important is that to younger players, Jimmy, to know the genres first like they get studio work. You must know to read and you must know these uh, I'm guessing bass grooves and genres just as drummers would, correct? Or Well, of course. I think, um, you know, the more you know about music, about um, the different aspects of music, different styles of music, uh, different forms in music, um, I think... Uh, that's only to your advantage as a musician uh, wanting to work. Uh, uh, versatility, you know, um, diversification, basically. So when I teach seminars, I always talk to students about diversifying and not, for, for an example, even going beyond all the different styles and forms and genres and um, going beyond that, uh, diversifying as far as what you do as, as a musician. So not just thinking, I'm only going to be a bass player, but uh, wow. may, maybe study 
uh, uh, horn arranging or, you know, um, maybe study composition, uh, maybe study recording engineering. Um, Good point, yes. Uh, learning how to use Pro Tools uh, and technology. So um, on top of knowing a lot about music and, you know, um, I mean, I, that was always a, a big part of my education, even my uh, teaching myself about things. Uh, I actually, when I was in the Yellow Jackets, um, at one time, I decided um, that I wanted to study music from around the world. So uh, that was a three years or more study, which is still ongoing, to be honest. But um, in doing so, uh, I became maybe not a qualified um, in this field, but but at least um, knowledgeable about being in, um, learning about music from all around the world and having uh, a feel for ethnomusic. Uh, so I studied music from Africa, from South America, wow. um, from the Middle East. Uh, Did you go there and study it, Jimmy? Or No, I just uh, started buying lots of records and listening to uh, a lot of music from all these areas and gotcha. and also you know being aware of artists that came out of all these areas you know right. um, and and that all had to do with uh, being around a lot of people that knew certain things and would turn you on the stuff they'd say hey listen to this I, I just heard this choir from Bulgaria and they they sing in with these very unusual harmonies with minor seconds and all that. So I go out and buy that wow. record and I'd listen to it and it was awesome, you know. So I and even being open to open to it. Well, that's you know, it. Rather, you know, you know, you have to have an open mind about it all and 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 really uh, look at all music as one huge study. Uh, to prepare yourself uh, in many ways to deal with any kind of situation you might come across, uh, you know, in a session. So, in other words, if I yeah. get a, got a call from Virgil Donati to play on something that was heavily in, um, inundated with odd meters and some crazy fusion stuff, I'm still able to understand what that is and and perform it. Uh, or if you call me and want me to play on something that's uh, influenced by James Brown and Maceo Parker, I, I know what that is, you know? So you can, yeah. you can uh, focus on what the music is and how to, uh, how to perform it. Um, and that's, the more you know about all those kinds of things and the larger your palette is of knowledge with all these different, as you said, grooves and uh, yeah. you know certain harmony that's used in certain kinds of music. Um, it all surfaces. It all point. surfaces, and it all becomes part of uh, what you're um, able to do, and and 
And the more you, you know about this, the, the larger your palette is and the, the more uh, prospects you'll have to, to work um, and to play with other people. That's, that's great advice. Um, yeah. So get all of that, get all of that info. Like you said, like a, you were like a sponge. Well, as a kid, yeah. Uh, my yeah, yeah. brain is not a sponge anymore, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, uh, I work at it, and I still uh, listen to a lot of music, and uh, I'm still learning things every day. And that, that's another, uh, I would say, uh, something to aspire to in life is to try to learn something every day, something new. And, and wow. if you do that, then after many, many years, you, you hopefully will have learned a lot, a lot of things. Yes, sir. I believe so. And that'll hey. influence how you, how you uh, go about life. Very true. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you something about, you know, drummers and bass players, you know, we're, <laughs> we're connected. And man i follow you obviously and i listen to everything you do and just so happens that every drummer you play with is like one of my top favorite drummers as well uh -huh. and so how do you uh from a bass player standpoint can you tell us how you approach um like with different drummers like with a groove and feel with the drummer you play with, like when you have to come up with original parts or when you're playing with someone like Will Kennedy, then Ricky Lawson, who's rest in peace, passed away. Um, the difference, not the difference between, but then you, like you're playing with Virgil tonight and you're playing with Jimmy Branley. Like some of these cats are groove and some of these cats are um, chops, obviously, and both. But from your standpoint, um, when you groove with a drummer and feel, you talk, tell us. You know, I, I lost you for a second. So could you repeat? Uh, I'm sorry. Maybe you could um, tell some of these. Yeah, for some reason, I'm Pat, I think we're having some issues with the, the connection. Hey, Pat. Give him some tips. Bob. Oh, you can't hear me? Yeah, yeah. Pat. The connection is not, not uh -oh. too great on your end. I wonder what happened. Yes? The connection is uh -oh. not too great on your end. Can you give us a, maybe a testing one, two, three, and we'll see if we can hear you? Testing one, two, three. I, I see you. I hear you. Yeah. yeah you're back. You're sort of back now. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know what to do, but I'm right by my Wi-Fi. Am I still there? You're not hearing me. Yeah, it's 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 a little it's a little bit spotty. Huh. Okay, I can answer that question though. Okay, answer that, please. <laughs> So you wanted to you wanted me to talk about groove with bass and drums, 
And, yes. um, you know, that's a very important relationship in an ensemble. Um, if you don't have a con good connection with the bass and the drums in a group, in an ensemble, um, the foundation will be weak and won't support the other musicians. So very important. Uh, and I, I take that very seriously when I enter into a recording session or a live gig. Um, uh, the first thing I want to do is create a solid and uh, grooving foundation with the drums. So yeah. uh, I, I take it upon myself to really concentrate on what the drummer's doing, how he's feeling certain things. And the first place I start is the kick drum. So if I lock in with the kick drum, because for me, the electric bass uh, is kind of like a, a melodic kick drum. So if I lock in with the bass drum to start, that's going to create a very serious foundation for an ensemble. And then once I have that established, then I can look into some other uh, aspects like, you know, melodic kind of things, um, uh, maybe even polyrhythmical kind of things to enhance the groove in certain ways. Um, but bottom line, uh, if I can just play a very simple pattern with the kick drum, if I just only did that, that would create True. a solid foundation and it would keep the ensemble grooving hard. So as long as you can do that, you're, you're ahead of the game. And then if there's anything that you can add to it, uh, you know, as far as, uh, like I said, polyrhythmic phrases or, you know, any kind of uh, interesting melodic content, that's all cherries on top, you know. Yeah. But, but for me, it's always uh, concentrate on the kick drum. So with each drummer, they have their own kick drum patterns and things that they might do. And I just, you just got to pay attention and be in the moment. and concentrate on what that is and walk into it it's as simple as that really if you can do that you're you're golden <laughs> and that's that's what i aspire to and that's what actually has helped me play with the hundreds of drummers that i've played with because they, every drummer has a different way of feeling things a little different way of performing certain pieces. And if you just focus on that one drum and keep that okay. uh, no, solid, then you're, yeah. you're, you're good. Okay. I'm sorry, we're having some technical difficulties. Uh, That's okay. That happens. So sorry about that. Maybe someone else has, maybe someone has a question, Steve, or if you're not getting me real clear right now. Well, I, I do have some thoughts, but let's try let's try to keep going with you, Pat, and see I can okay. I can kinda hear you okay right now. If I find that it's breaking up, I'll I'll throw myself in there. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. 
my next question would be then um the brother to brother can you tell us about that how that came to be and because that just blew away every musician on the planet that i know <laughs> well it's very kind of you to say that um uh, it had a lot to do with a relationship I had with a drummer named Mark Cranny, who's Mark no Cranny. longer with us. Mark Cranny and I had played in a, a few ensembles together, uh, especially one which was Tommy Bolin, Tommy Bolin Band. Um, and at one time, after that uh, uh, gig, I got a call from Mark and he said, hey, I'm, um, I just auditioned for this uh, singer named Gino Vanelli. And I said, oh, I, I know who that is. And he said, well, they're looking for a bass player. Because um, normally uh, Gino, Gino's concept was using synth bass. Um, but on this one record, um, they wanted to bring in the electric bass. So... So fortunately for me, Mark Cranny already had auditioned and gotten the gig with Gino to record on this record. And they, were, they asked him if he had any preferences for any bass players to come down and audition. And, and thankfully, Mark called me and uh, he, brought, he and I ended up at a... I can't hear Jimmy at all. Oh, uh, but you Sorry. can, right? I, I can hear Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're still getting him. Pat, can you hear us? Yeah, we're not hearing Pat. Pat's frozen. Okay. This. What I'll do, Jimmy, is I'm going to send him a text. Maybe he can sign out and sign back in. Yeah, maybe us. he could refresh his uh, his deal. Oh, I see. He just uh, Did he just jump out? I see we got some other people here. Yeah, we do. Let me hear it. Pat, try to unmute yourself, Pat. Okay. Now there you go. Yeah. Did you refresh? Somebody did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what happened. It all cut off and what came back on. That was awesome. Okay. <laughs> that well, was here, very uh, I'll just uh, I'll just uh, try to finish up with, with – um, you know, thanks to Mark Cranny, I got the audition with Gino Vanelli and his brothers, Ross and, and Joe. And uh, and the audition went well, and I got the gig. And they, unfortunately, I didn't play on the whole record because I had already signed a, a, a contract to go on the road with two different bands. Uh, one was Roy Ayers and Ubiquity. Wow. And, and the other one was um, uh, the Dave Mason and Friends, uh, which had a, a variety of people in that band, uh, from Joe Cocker to Graham Nash and all these cool people. So I only played on uh, three songs on the Brother to Brother record, and uh, and I did play on the um, I did the solo on the on the title track, um, Brother to Brother, which was uh, out of the blue kind of thing. I'd redone two tracks that day, which was a song called Feel Like Flying and another song called People I Belong To. And I, I was getting ready to pack up and leave for the day. And they said, 
hey, can you do us a favor? Uh, we were thinking of having a bass solo on this tune. <laughs> I said, a bass solo? You want a bass solo on your, on your record? And he said, yeah. Um, so they played me brother to brother, and they showed me where they wanted the bass solo, which were trades with Mark Cranny. And I said, well, I said, look, I'll take a pass at it and, you know, see what you think. And they said, great. So they, they rolled the tape back then. We had, we were on uh, Studer's and uh, 24 two-inch, 24-track two-inch tape. And uh, I took that solo. That was one pass. And I, I thought it was terrible. And I said, can I... Can I do another one? And they said, no, we like this one. <laughs> and I said, well, well, I said, please let me just take one more pass. So they let me take another pass, but they, they kept the first solo. And that was it. Wow. Um, and the rest is history. Wow. And That's I ended incredible. up doing another uh, four records with Gino after that, which you mentioned one, Black Cars. Right. Uh, then I did the uh, worked on the follow up to that, which was called Big Dreamers Never Sleep. Um, that had a really cool tune on there. Uh, uh, yeah, I can't. Remember. I think it was called uh, Hurts to Be in Love, but I'm, I'm, I could be wrong about that. Uh, and then I, I worked on two other records after that. One was called Inconsolable Man, and then. Um, a record where I actually produced a song on it, a record called Slow Love. Okay. I had a whole deal with Gino, and Gino and I became really good friends. I really became really good friends as well with Joe Vanelli, who uh, Joe and I co-produced my, my uh, uh, two of my solo records, which was Ready Eat. And yes. uh, the record after that, which is called Nightfall, that not a lot of people know about, but I just re-released it on Blue Canoe Records. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I love the Red Heat, the, the Heat album. I actually performed a few of those songs in my duo. Which well, you thank know. you. Thanks for doing Love those. And, and believe it or not, they, they're the best. We get the most applause for those tunes. <laughs> <laughs> the games. Well, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, sir, man. Hey, how important is um, attitude and ego, if we could talk about that with young players? Uh, you know, you're always meeting <laughs> new content. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to have a good one, let's, let me rephrase that. Um, yeah. With, you know, how do you maintain it in this competitive, you know, somewhat stressful at times business with ups and downs? You meet producers and you know um, there's someone always maybe telling you what to do you know uh how do you let that go let that ego part go as soon as someone says no jimmy try don't play a c there put play a b flat there how did you i'm sure you you know you've had with working with producers as a producer yourself but how can these younger players come to uh leave that ego at the door so to speak well, that's what you got to do. And just understand that the music is the most important thing. And, and if you're working for an artist or a band, uh, the most important 
thing is to find the common ground, uh, you know, the middle ground. Uh, don't put yourself in a position where your ego creates uh, tension. Uh, you know, uh, especially in a recording studio, um, that's a very intimate place to be playing music because you're so exposed. You know, uh, you know, you you lay down a track and you go into the control room and. There you are, you know, exactly. or, um, uh, for better or for worse. So, um, so you can't uh, think about yourself. You have to be selfless in that sense. Um, and you just have to dedicate yourself to the music and focus on making the music the best that it can be, no matter what it is. Even if it's something that you don't agree with, uh, you have to just make it make it your own, and uh, and 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 you can't uh, start putting out bad, bad vibes because that's going to ruin the session, and it's going to uh, if you end up doing enough of that, it's going to end up being. A situation where you're going to get a, a, a horrible reputation as someone that's not easy to work with, uh, not that's not fun to work with. A, a recording session has to be fun, you know. Music is fun, and I think sometimes people forget that, you know, it becomes more of a an ego based kind of thing, or I'm the best, or none of that. Yeah, matters. none of that really matters, and it certainly has not mattered to me. I just wanted to play music and enjoy every possible minute while I was performing, recording, uh, playing live, writing. You know, uh, you have to find joy, you know, in what you do. And fortunately for me, it's, it's not been uh, a, a difficult thing to, to, for me to wrap my head around. I, I've always been interested in music and and I find joy in, in performing and writing and and, and working with others uh, playing music it's it's a joyful experience and you should never forget that and 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 you know sometimes uh, and I've been in this situation where other people don't have that similar concept. So, of course, uh, they might lay some heavy uh, negativity on you. You know, it's coming uh -huh. from them to you. And then at that point, you go, well, that's on them. I, I didn't create that. And, and you pick uh, up on that, like, immediately when yeah. you're sensitive to it. Now, it, could, it, it has hurt my feelings, I'll be honest at times yeah. sometimes very deeply but but at the same time I, I i reminded myself that it wasn't me that created that and and i was trying to do my best and that person didn't uh seem to uh agree with how i felt about it and that and and i have to live with that you know but and you um, have to let it go yeah you let it go 
Yeah. Right. And maybe go, uh, go home and practice some more. Maybe maybe they were right about something, you know. Oh, wow. uh, but but yeah. certainly uh, that would never be coming from me going to someone else. Uh, I only want to create a good feeling, a positive feeling. I want positivity and joy in, in all the experiences I have with other musicians and playing music. That's great. That's just how I am. <laughs> and that's a great way to be. And it shows when you're, you're so, it makes you so uh, approachable and in demand because we, we don't want to be around that guy that, that has that, like, that negative vibe, that competitive thing that. Well, there's know, enough negativity in the world. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so my, uh, my concept is I want to try to bring as much positivity into the world to, to go against whatever negative issues there are. So, you know, the world's in a pretty tough place right now. So we need as much positivity as we can muster. And uh, so I wake up every day thinking uh, good thoughts positive thoughts and, you know, just want to accomplish good things all day long till I go to sleep at night. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, I don't want to say it's hard to do, but uh, something, <laughs> if something, if something Sometimes comes up. You know, things happen yeah. during the course of a day that might, <laughs> you know, might you uh, turned around a little bit, but, but I still, if that happens, I find a way to, you know, just uh, that's great, man. Make it into a positive. And I and I find that that's when you mention that, and I find that the most successful and the best musicians that I that I know that truly are known out there, they have that same attitude. They have that same approach. You can't even if you started talking to uh, one guy, particular friend of mine. I started saying something, well, you know, this is da-da-da, and he'd go, yeah, but on the other hand, <laughs> you know, right to the positive, you know, and, and that's a great way to be, I think, you know, definitely. Yeah, it's important, and it's only going to help you tenfold as, you know, as having a good reputation and moving right. forward, you know, being a team player. So there you go. Yeah. I agree. Hey, um, talking about playing again um, on your acts, um, did you ever need to work on your time or your feel much? I, not so much feel, but because I don't think, in my opinion, feel is you either have it or you, you can't. I don't know. I don't want to say that. You have feel or you kind of don't naturally i want to say maybe but as far as your time when you started um did you just always have good time did you work with metronomes did you, or did you just play with like myself i played just happened to so happen to play with music with a lot of feel like jeff Picaro records you know and that's so a great that's a great yeah, if i'm digging if i'm grooving with that yeah if you're grooving with him and you're not out of time <laughs> then Man, you're locked. But did you have to work on your time? 
much? Um, no, not necessarily. I mean, cer certain things I, I remember needing to work on. Uh, uh, and I, I always felt like my time was good. Um, but, you know, it doesn't hurt to practice. Uh, I, I sometimes would practice with a metronome or I would uh, practice with records that, you know, had – Yeah. You know, you had to follow the time. And sometimes records speed up and slow down. But, That's true, too. But as long as, you know, and that I learned that as well. Because, um, you know, so, sometimes I, I notice people, you know, uh, like a, let's say a bass player would uh, just play to his time, but he wouldn't move with anybody else. And that's kind of counterproductive in a way. So... If things are moving, I think the best thing to do is to move with it. You know, as they say, go with the flow. Um, yeah. That doesn't have anything to do with whether you have bad time or good time as far as yourself to say. But if, if someone else is having a little bit of a problem, the best thing to do to create success with, with the music is to just go with whatever's happening, if it's slowing down, speeding up. Uh. And, and if, if the worst thing is things start slowing down. And I found a way to just kind of push it a little, you know, harder, you know, stay on the edge. <laughs> so that even though it's slowing down, there's still something that's motivating, uh, motivating factors. So um, those things happen. But uh, fortunately for me, I have to say I'm, I'm lucky in many respects that I got to play with guys like Jeff Picaro and, you know, wow. uh, Vinny Caliuta, uh, Gary Novak. Uh, I can name probably a few hundred drummers, uh, Keith Carl. And those are, those are all the greatest drummers, in my opinion. Was that, mainly, was that a lot of session work, or was that, was that all your audience? Live performance and session. Wow, wow. Yeah. And, you know, you play enough with all those guys, and your time is good. Exactly. <laughs> I would say uh, not a problem with time. So I've been, yeah, I've okay. been lucky. I've been lucky with that. Yeah. And, um, what about, um, preparing for, um, like, like you've mentioned before with your frequent flyer mile over your, your vast career of travel to country of countries and countries. Um, what about preparing for that, uh, for bait young players that are getting ready to tour? Um, and maybe talk about how you, you just, just, is it become a mindset? Like you just do it? You program to learn to do that? It's yeah. got to be hard. Once you, have a, a, once you have a schedule, then you have to commit to it. And uh, sometimes it's not the easiest thing to uh, accomplish. Um, Especially if you have like, um, say, twenty-one gigs in twenty-three days, you know, something like that, uh, and it's uh, and and uh, you're traveling almost every day. Uh, that's pretty hair-raising. I've done quite a few of those, but um, main thing is uh, try to get as mess as much rest as possible. Well, that includes napping and whenever you can. Whenever you can. Uh, if you're really tired, you know, because you, what you're trying to do is make sure you have enough energy so when you get to the gig, you can really perform uh, and play the music and be 
you know, on top of uh, the, the deal. So rest is always number one priority. Um, diet, uh, but not everyone will agree with me, but well, I've been a vegetarian since 1971. So, wow. Um, uh, but, and vegetarianism isn't, isn't for everybody, but it, it, it's been a good thing for me. It keeps my energy level pretty um, uh, high end. Uh, and so uh, between that and rest and also, you know, trying to stay uh, calm, uh, I do meditate. Um, so any right. metaphysical kind of thing that, uh, I I would suggest if if you if it's something that's comfortable for you, um, certainly uh, uh, give that some thought because uh, you know it's keeping a low stress kind of uh, uh, environment around you is is important. So no stress, sleep, uh, good diet, you know those three things, uh, exercise. Um, you know, yeah. uh, I was wherever I could, you know, all, all the hotels have usually have gyms. So you can go in there. Even I'd, sometimes I would finish a gig and get back to the hotel at one thirty in the morning. And I'd, I'd go in the gym for an hour and, and just work out and then, you know, take a nice uh, hot shower and, and crawl under the covers and you're ready to get up at say six thirty for a lobby call to get on a plane to fly to the next gig, you know, and you wow. feel like I feel pretty good, you know? Uh, so any of these things, and, and you don't have to do them like nonstop, but if it's all in your program, that's going to help. Um, I have other things. I, I've someone once said I should write a book about traveling because I've traveled so much and I, I have all these other little concepts about what I bring on a trip, uh, how I pack, you know, and, uh, and for the last probably um, over 20 years, uh, I've only uh, traveled with carry-on. So that's really? another thing that lowers... The stress, because say you're on a plane. Mainly your base. <laughs> your base is your carry-on, too. Yeah, I carry on one base and right. one bag. And that's okay. it. And it's a bag that fits quite a lot of stuff that I use during the whole tour. I could, I can live on the road for a month with one duffel bag of stuff and, wow. and my base. So uh, someone told me I should write a book about that. But... Um, uh, basically, that lowers stress too, because if you check into a flight and you check in a bunch of baggage, and then that flight gets uh, canceled or something, or you got to, or or you got to run to catch a whole nother plane, uh -huh. you're lost. Now you're losing your bag, you know. Oh man, and, lay and layovers and all that to the next city. And all you have is a pair of shorts, a t-shirt, and and your base. <laughs> so, uh, and you gotta uh, hope you get your bag <laughs> either that day or the next day or whatever, you know. And sometimes that doesn't happen either, 
you know. So, so you just learn to deal with it. You dealt yeah, with it. So there's all kinds of things like that. Um, Without losing your peace, yeah. <laughs> but basically, um, like I mentioned before, uh, rest, you know, good sleep if possible, uh, good diet, exercise, and uh, some kind of way to relax, um, whether it be meditation or yoga or whatever. Um, Okay. Usually those things will get you there. That's great. That's awesome. Hey, um, did, I think you, you mentioned that you, um, you studied with Jocko for a short, a short while, correct? Or were you in New York or you guys hooked up? Or? I was in Los Angeles and oh, okay. um, I was being managed by a company called Kabbalah, Ruffalo and Farnoli. And uh, they were here in, in uh, on the west side here. They had an office. They managed Earth, Wind, and Fire. A little, a group called Little Feet, great group. Yeah, right. Prince. Wow. <laughs> and uh, Weather Report. Oh wow! So uh, I ended up in a rehearsal studio with the band I was in. They managed this little band I was in called Adventure. It was a trio. Uh, was kind of like um, uh, it's kind of like uh, the cream meets a little bit of Hendrix and uh, and and a new, with a New Orleans kind of groove, like a okay. kind of thing, ah. uh, with vocals and all that. So anyway, uh, we were in a rehearsal and uh, in this private facility and weather report was rehearsing next door so uh jocko had just joined the band um they were getting ready to go on tour to uh promote a record called black market wow and it was 1970 um yeah. 1977 uh so Great album. I, met, I met john i came i went in to listen to him because i was a big fan of weather report and um there was this guy playing bass and i was i i didn't know who it was and he was uh playing some pretty un unbelievable things so i i made a point of waiting till they came out of their rehearsal to meet him and i asked him if he gave lessons and he said yeah and so i ended up studying with him for about a week uh, so I was rehearsing there for a week, and Weather Report was there for about a week. And uh, so I, I studied with them almost every day for an entire week. But then um, uh, shortly after that, I got a gig with Flora Purim and Ayerto. Wow. And we ended up opening for Weather Report. So I got to see Jocko on the road, and I took lessons from him on the road. And various cities in the United States. And that was Erto was playing drums at the time or percussion? Yes. He was drums. playing both. both? Ricky, Ricky Lawson was playing drums. Wow. And percussion. He played some percussion too. So they would go back and forth. So on the Brazilian stuff, Erto would play drums. Ricky would play percussion. And on the funk stuff, Ricky would play drums and Ayrton would play percussion. Uh, okay. Who else was in that band? 
Uh, Raul yeah. D'Souza on trombone, who was okay. incredible, uh, from Rio de Janeiro. A piano player from Uruguay named Hugo Fatruso. Uh, a percussionist and a vocalist named Ruben Morada, uh, Flora Pirim, right. um, and a guitar player named Jeff Richmond. Okay. Jeez. And that was the first band, and then there was a little break in, in between the touring, and the band completely changed. So I played bass with Chester Thompson on drums. Wow. And uh, Milcho Leviev on piano, who's this uh, uh, Eastern yeah. piano player, uh, Raul D'Souza again, and Florin Ayerto. Okay. I know that piano player sounds familiar. I think he was with- He played uh, with Billy Cobham. Billy, I was gonna say Billy Cobham, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you ever do anything with Billy? Yeah. Yeah, wow. I played with him uh, and some German musicians. This was a wild thing. It was just something that was thrown together. And they needed a bass player, a guest bass player and a guest saxophonist. So Billy was doing this thing in Germany with these German musicians, but they wanted some guests. So they got me and Eric Marienthal to fly in and play with oh, Billy wow. and these other German musicians. Uh, and we did a concert in Cologne together. Is that was that recorded? Or was that a, was I don't that think anywhere? so. It might, well, it might have been recorded, but I, yeah. I don't know anything about it. I just uh, went there and learned. We had a quick rehearsal, <laughs> like, yeah. a, like a three-hour rehearsal, and then boom, we hit, hit, played some tunes. And uh, I hung with Billy. I, know I've, I actually tried to help him with some stuff. And that was it. That was, that was it. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's just a one-shot deal, but I did get to play with Billy, and that was fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I met him. I met him once. We, we opened for him up in Cleveland uh, a couple of times, and then I actually met him down here in Tampa uh, years later. So, um, well, if, if no one has any questions, I think, um, if Jimmy, hey, if Pat. you don't have any... Yes. Hey, hey Pat. <laughs> hey, hey uh, Jimmy. Uh, Pat's my uh, buddy in a band. We, I'm a bass player. We play together quite a lot. And uh, Jimmy, I was really uh, glad to see you when you uh, uh, toured uh, with um, with Jeff at uh, Jeff Lorber at the Jacksonville Jazz Festival. Oh, yeah. Three, four. In fact, I walked up and I'm like, "Holy cow, Jimmy's touring with him!" I I just didn't know. I saw Lorber on the list, but didn't know. So anyway, that that was. Fantastic, and I, I wear another hat as a as a jazz journalist. Uh, so I, I reviewed uh, the Arc Trio for Jazz Times, and oh, lot, lot, thank lot, you. you know, and that that's a one of my questions I have. Do you you know you were talking about world music and, and weather report a little bit, and certainly that that had such a nice combination of world music and fusion happening. Do you, are you guys doing more of that? We are, in fact, I'm. Uh, <laughs> I'm I'm actually producing an Arc Trio big band record right now, nice. uh, which is like a fusion big band, and it has all kinds of elements. Uh, Gergo Borlai is playing drums, so it's the trio. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of uh, guest musicians that I brought in. Uh, Seamus Blake, so fine uh, tenor player from New York. Um, 
Steve Steve Kahn's on guitar and some stuff. Uh, oh, wow. uh, Osnoy, uh, Mike Miller, and um, uh, uh, Nguyen Lee. I don't know if you know who Nguyen is. Uh, he's Vietnamese, but he lives in Paris. He's a really interesting guitar player. Um, I got to play with him in uh, uh, VDR, uh, WDR Orchestra in Cologne a few times. And um, just an amazing guitarist, very different. Uh, So those four guys, uh, Steve Tavlioni's on some stuff. um, And uh, Catisse Buckingham is a virtuosic flautist. Uh, He's on some stuff. And it's the John Diversa Big Band. Mm, very nice. So John's in Miami, actually. He's in, he's not far from you. Um, right. So John uh, John wrote all the horn charts, and Scott Kinsey did all the rhythm charts. But it's a art trio uh, project with the John Diversa Big Band and playing the music of MSM Schmidt, who's a a fusion composer from Bremen, Germany. Um, Wow. It's kind of an interesting collaborative project. And I, I've been producing that record now for a year and a half because of COVID and, uh, you know, all the virtual sessions that I had to organize. Um, Let me ask you quickly. Fascinating to me. You know, I never got to see Jocko. didn't see weather report until Victor Bailey was in it, but what does a week of lessons with Jocko look like? What is, you know, <laughs> what is Jocko teaching? I'm just curious when Jocko left, was there any opportunity to become part of what connections? It would have been a different kind of a thing, but you know, I know Victor was great for it, but I mean, you know, after, after the Jocko era, was there any you know, opportunity for did that ever come about <laughs> or were you interested? Uh, you mean it's for me joining the weather report? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I would always be interested in that, but <laughs> and I and I actually uh, I knew Joe Zavinul uh, well, and I, and I had met Wayne, and you know I played with a bunch of the drummers like Chester Thompson and yeah. and Peter Erskine. Because I was thinking it might be might have been a natural. You would have brought something different than Victor, you know. Well, yeah, and but at the time, I also, you know, I was heavily involved with the Yellow Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was taking precedent uh, for, for me. Uh, you know, I was deeply involved. I mean, I, I was in that band for 32 years. So. I was shocked when you left, actually. I'm like, that, that can't <laughs> how can there be Yellow Jackets without Jimmy Haslam? Uh, well, that's very kind of you to say, but... Um, you know, it, it came to a point where I was doing a lot of production work, and that, to me, seemed like a, a place for me to go. Um, that's where I started feeling more comfortable with uh, what I was doing career-wise. And, uh, and it also was allowing me to have more opportunity to work with a lot of a larger variety of people um, and also for me to kind of slow down the traveling thing. Cause I think I, by that time, by 2012, which is when I actually 
that, that was the cutoff date when I left. Um, 2012, <laughs> my wife's here. Uh, 2012, um, uh, I, I actually produced 10 records that year. So, um, and I had already been doing, I, I think I had about 90 some odd records that I'd already produced along the way, starting around 1981. Um, I had, by 2012, we produced over 90 records. And now it's gotten even more intense because I've had more time to focus uh, because of less travel. You know, I think I traveled around the world probably eight times at this point. Wow. Someone once asked, recently asked me, how many times have you been to Japan? And I thought about it, and I said, I think around 60. Wow. <laughs> and then I, then I kind of freaked myself out. I said, how could I travel to Japan 60 times? But I, I did look into that a little bit, and I, I believe that's pretty close. You know. Jeez. Hey, what did you get uh, just back that's on the Jocko question, just again. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. Just very curious about that. Well, um, you know, well, studying with Jocko was interesting because it wasn't just like sitting there and, you know, going through modes or something. It was just kind of getting together with him and playing. And then he would play something and he would show me some things and go, check this out, you know. And he showed me this really funny pattern that I actually just used on a solo uh, that's all in fourths, but um, it's using alternate strings. So, so you have to really stretch your hand out mm. to, to accommodate that. Um, and with that, that actually became an exercise, you know, just to strengthen, especially the pinky, um, which I think when I started studying with Jocko, my pinky wasn't that strong, but it is today, thanks to him. Um, he also would like, you know, uh, play me stuff and say, you gotta, you gotta listen to this stuff. And he gave me advice about things and we would just talk about music. It was, you know, we were born uh, literally 30 days apart. Oh, wow. uh, he was born on December 1st, 1951, I was born on December 31st, 1951. So with that, you know, being only 30 days apart, we really kind of related to one another as, as dudes, you know, as guys. Yeah. So, so it went beyond just the teacher-student kind of relationship. We actually, you know, we... Uh, we actually connected as people, you know, as two guys. Um, and he was certainly very confident of himself. And, uh, and I didn't question that because he was, uh, he was uh, light years ahead of where I was as a musician. And that in itself was just being around that uh, was kind of like a rocket ship of uh, inspiration. Um, just to see that this 
guy was so far ahead of me, but we were only 30 days apart. So there had to be right. some rhyme to that reason. And for me, uh, it seemed to be, uh, I just need to work harder. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I don't think I, I ever would accomplish what what he did. Um, uh, just because uh, uh, a lot of what I feel that he did uh, doesn't have anything to do with practice. It's uh, it's a gift. He had a gift. Yeah. And that became more and more evident as I hung out with him, you know. And I, I could only think of a few people that, that would be in that realm. And uh, one of those other people was, would be Jimi Hendrix. Right. I kind of felt that, that that I saw Hendrix five times. So <laughs> when I was with Jocko, I had a similar kind of feeling about who I was uh, with, you know. And I actually was pretty close, got pretty close to Jimi Hendrix. I, I once got on a stage where he was playing and I was literally, uh, literally, um, I'd say about eight feet from him for almost an entire concert. And the vibe I got from, from him was uh, undescribable. It's very magical, that's all I can say. And you still have your earring. <laughs> <laughs> I don't anymore. <laughs> earring is gone, but... Uh, Look, you know, you get inspiration and motivation from a lot of different sources. And certainly I, I did get a lot of all that from both Jocko and Jimi Hendrix. Um, and a lot of the music that I grew up with. Uh, and every day I'm learning more about other music. And, uh, and I've now gotten to play with a lot of different people and so many different kinds of situations that, you know, uh, there's no way around the fact that I'm getting all this um, energy from, from all this music. So that, that's, uh, I build my day on, on all that. Um, and I, and I hope to, that, that, you know, inspires other people to do the same. You know, so it's, I'm, you know, there's nothing special really about me here. Uh, I just uh, open my mind up and I just try to consume all the music and all the positivity that I can and, and try to uh, uh, take it all in and then send it out in my own way to you know, whoever's out there listening. Right. That's all I can do. And, but it, but it is a, a positive, uh, um, it, it, it's all based on po being positive and, and sending out uh, positivity at, at all times. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's a great approach. Yeah. That's, that's, that's all I know, really. And, I'm, and then, you know, mostly being self-taught. Of course, you know, um, I always felt that I 
you know, was uh, challenged uh, doing what I do because I, I don't play the instrument in a normal fashion. So I, I, I have to get up every morning and, and feel like, okay, I can do this and I'm going to, you know, work hard and make it happen, you know, so. But, but I've, been, I've been put into some pretty interesting situations that, that have pushed me, you know. And that's another thing for young students to understand that it's good to play with people that are, let's say, um, uh, at a higher level, you know, because then yes. you have something to shoot for, you know. I agree. So don't don't feel shy about that, and that got me going. I mean, one of the first professional bands I got into in 1970, uh, when I graduated from high school, I joined the band. Uh, well, I auditioned and I got the gig, unbelievably. But I was 18, and all the guys in the band were like 25, 27, 28, and I thought they were old. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but they were they were experienced. They had been doing club dates and all that. I was just out of high school, you know. Yeah. So I was green as corn. But um, man, playing with those guys, I was like, wow, this is incredible, you know. So it really motivated me to practice and learn all the tunes that we were performing and really, you know really try to do the best job I could. And fortunately, uh, the, the guitar player in that band kind of took me under his wing. He was, he was about 25, I think, and I was 18, or 24 maybe. Um, but he was studying with Pat Martino. So he would sit me down and he'd say, okay, you gotta learn this melody <laughs> on the face. Wow. And he, you know, he would, he taught me like, for, for example, the melody of Freedom Jazz Dance, which is kind of a funny little melody built built on fourths, you know. It's an Eddie Harris tune. Okay. Um, so I just remember learning that and thinking, wow, what a cool thing, you know. Uh, as to an learn agent, that line. Yeah, to learn that line and be able, I could play it with the guitar player. We'd play it in unison, you know. Wow. And it just was a great feeling. So. Um, I think that's the bottom line. You know, everything's got to be uh, filled with joy, and and uh, and that in itself motivates you to try to be, be your best. Be your, your best, yeah, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> and do you have your own ba a line of bases, like someone that built you your own because uh, of your your <laughs> you know technically i do but i i i never really wanted to do that uh mike tobias who i i endorsed tobias basses for a long time philip you know who that is right yeah uh, uh at one point he was looking to do something with me and, and I want I wanted him to build a base um, a bolt-on because he was he was building these what's called neck through so there's there's no bolts it's just one piece from the bridge all the way to the head top of the headstock right it's one, wow. one piece of wood 
And and I just I kept telling Mike, I think bolt-ons are, you know, punchier. They got a little more punch. I think you should build a, a bolt-on. And it took me a while to convince him to do that. But he finally did. He finally said, okay, I'll build <laughs> <laughs> I'll build a bolt-on. And um and then uh, it, it got quite popular, and, and he, I think he wanted, at one point he talked to me about and endorsed uh, kind of a, a, a royalty uh, or something, and I just said, no, man, just, just sell the bases. And, if, you know, he, he's, he'd already been very generous with me as an endorse, endorser. Gotcha. Um, but he ended up calling the base the killer bee. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. Yeah, because of the yellow jacket, the B, you know, so gotcha. it was some kind of correlation with yeah, the yeah. fact that I twisted his arm to <laughs> build a, a bolt-on bass. And then uh, the bass that Keith Roscoe built me, because I've been endorsing Roscoe guitarist since 1998, um, they, he built me a beautiful six-string bass and... and uh, I asked for a few uh, bells and whistles that I, I was interested in, and that bass has now become my my signature model. But it but it's not on paper. It's just people just know that 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 particular setup is my setup. So okay. Other gotcha. than that, I, I I've not in, gone into any kind of uh, signature model really. Um, for any one company, yeah. No, but I I, I do endorse still uh, MTD and Roscoe bases, and then I have this endorsement with a Japanese company called Innerwood, and uh, they build these like souped-up Fender bases, um, and they're beautiful. They they record well. They're really put together nicely, and uh, it's one of the workhorses I have here that I do sessions with. Nice. And your fretless bases. Uh, I have a few of those. I have some old Tobiases. They're really great. I have two of those. Um, I have a, an MTD that's a beautiful fretless. And I have a beautiful uh, Roscoe fretless. So I have four fretlesses. And actually, there's a fretless that I still have, but it's I haven't really done anything with it in a long time. But it was the very first fretless that I got, and I didn't start playing that till um, 1988. Uh, no, I take that back. I played that before that, but um, it's on a song by Gino Vanelli called "Wild Horses." Wild horses. And that was my first fretless, and it was a that Yamaha. Was fretless. It was a Yamaha bass that I convinced. Uh, uh, a technician at Yamaha to make a fretted bass into a fretted into a fretless bass for me, and he did. And I used that bass on that song, and it's got a pretty distinctive sound, actually. So, uh, and that's just a four stringer. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, when I wrote uh, Pasquale Finale for my CD, um, I was trying to. I had written a tune. And it was a Latin songo bass line, I guess you'd call it. And I couldn't think, I couldn't figure out who I wanted to play bass on it. I, and, and I thought, you know, 
I'm just going to, I'm just going to ask. Let me see. I, I can hear fretless. I, I can hear fretless on this. And man, this is, this is going to be a great song. Who can I get to play bass? Who can I get to play bass? on it? I'm just going to, I'm just going to text. I'm just going to go on messenger and I'm going to, I didn't know Jimmy personally. And I sent him a text message and Jimmy like responded in like five minutes, <laughs> you know, and said, Hey Pat, I'm going to be in Chicago. I got, got to do a sound check and dinner and then I'll be available. Call me, call me on my cell phone tonight. I called him and he said, I'd love to play on this song. And what that did for me, I just want to thank you here. And <laughs> because man, you know what, what happened with that song was after I found out you were going to play on it, I, I, I've changed the mel. I made you. I asked you oh. to play the scat. I scatted with you because I knew that with I had been listening to stuff that you wrote with the scat vocal with your you playing the line. So I re actually rearranged the tune and because I heard you on it, and then you said, I think you said to me, "Well, you know, Pat, it's not really a complete song because." <laughs> I said, "Well, could you give me some advice on the tune?" And this was just great because um, you really helped me so much in writing the song, actually, because you said it needs another section. It's It just goes from A to B. And it goes to A, and it goes, you know, yeah, the melody's cool, and I'm digging the tune, but, man, it's, it's not really complete. And I said, wow. Um, <laughs> so I went, in this, I went in the studio, and I just made up this other section, and then you and I traded. Uh, a little section on it, but it was so, I just want to, man, in closing, I really want to, man, I, it's just been amazing to, you've you're been such an inspiration to me, and for sharing your your time, your knowledge, your, your inspiration, your positive energy, your vibe uh, with us uh, today, the Clearwater Jazz Holiday, with these young students, um, you know, thank you. I appreciate that. And I, one quick thing that you brought up that, that students should know, uh, communication, <laughs> very yes. important. Uh, if somebody writes to you, answer them back as soon as you can. Don't wait like a week or anything because that's another that opportunity. You know, that opportunity will be gone. Right. Yeah, just stay on things call people back, whether you can work with them or not, just let them know where you stand. And uh, communication is very important. Thank you, man. You, you okay. So much, so much knowledge and, and advice is, is an incredible. It's, it's, it's an honor to speak with you. Um, My pleasure. Today. And Philip, you know, I, I don't know if Steve, else? If, 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 yeah, Steve's still what, with us. There's Steve. I, I, I definitely, Are we done? I definitely am. No, what, what a, what a great session. We made it, <laughs> Jimmy. Thank you, Jimmy, thank you for, for being part of the Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Um, your first virtual session with us. It was fantastic, Pat. Uh -huh. You did, you did a great job, Pat. Uh, and we love you, man. And and uh, I, I'd so, like to revisit. I'd like to revisit with Jimmy if we could, Steve. Uh, we talked about it. And maybe play together somehow. It'd be very but cool. We, well, we'll we have do to do that. Some, 
some arm twisting maybe <laughs> with, with Jimmy, but, but, uh, but we'd love to know. have him back and, and, uh, Philip, I appreciate you being part of this session today. Um, Thank you, it Phillip. was really, it was really cool and a surprise to see you in, uh, Acme jazz garage was fantastic this past Friday at a sold out Thank show you. as part of our wonderless music series, uh, both Philip and Pat. And, um, we really appreciated that. It was a beautiful evening of, of beautiful music and Thank um, Thank for you. the uh for the students that will be watching this session um we talked um quite a bit today about jacko and um we we have um a really neat program that was born out of the pandemic to complement our history of jazz outreach program that happens in the school system down here and with other special groups. And it's called the stop time series with Frank Williams, where we do um, a really neat uh, history of jazz audio and video archive. It's pretty comprehensive and it starts with early civil war era influences and talks about people and places uh, through contemporary musicians and there's a great piece that we just shared on our facebook page ironically or uh, or coincidentally i should say yesterday about jacko and it's a great um uh six about 16 minute um piece on who he was and 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 uh, so i would encourage students to watch that and recently another one of our um family of musicians, uh, Brandon Robertson, great bass player. He's a director of jazz down at Gulf Coast University, Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, just did a, a, a really nice piece on Jacko as part of their, our What I Love About series, which is an even deeper dive. So these are just a couple of other resources yeah. that students should watch. Um, that 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 second piece will be up in the studio in about a week's time, as will this this video. So. On behalf of the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Foundation and all of our supporters, fans, um, we want to thank all the musicians for participating today. And for everybody who's been watching, following along, uh, thank you for helping to make this special. Stay safe out there. Uh, keep being creative. Keep playing. Keep practicing. Keep sharing. And uh, we'll see everybody back at the next one. Awesome. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Steve. See Thank you, guys. you, Jimmy. My best. Thank you for listening to Clearwater Jazz Holidays, Young Lions Jazz Master Virtual Sessions. Thank you to our friends at Marine Max Clearwater for helping to present this podcast series. To learn more about the Clearwater Jazz Holiday Annual Festival tradition, other special events throughout the year, and our year-round education and outreach, please visit clearwaterjazz.com.